praise God and praise God to our live stream audiences out there. Uh, we love you guys. You're part of our body here and uh, we praise God for the body of Christ and he's awesome. Oh, those are Dominguez's. You guys just sit there. I just looked over you. Good to see you guys. <laughs> uh, he is good. He is, he's awesome. The, you know what? It's funny because Chad was talking about the book of Revelation and you can go catch that on uh, our podcast and what have you. You can go to our Good Fight Ministries uh, YouTube site and see that. And you'll be edified, I think, because we go through 22 chapters. But it's interesting when I go through the book of Revelation, I look at it as a whole. There's certain things that always just jump out at me. And one of the churches that always jumps out at me, and I'm not gonna be, we're not going to spend a lot of time in the book of Revelation, but we're going to launch off from there, is, is what Jesus says to the churches. I think the most time I've spent in chapters in the book of Revelation is not all the end time things, although we spent plenty of time in there and we've still got chapter 21 and 22 to finish this time around. But uh, is the churches. I spend most time in chapter 2 and 3 because Jesus addresses seven churches. But there's such an interesting contrast between two of the churches there that I think is very good for each of us, biblically speaking, uh, spiritually speaking, for our own walks with Jesus, to keep our eyes on him. Because these are two churches where, if you looked at them from the outside, you would, you, you would draw one, especially if you're in the world, you might draw one conclusion, but you wouldn't draw maybe the same conclusion Jesus drew, which is a spiritually minded conclusion, which also relates to our own lives and where we're at and who we are in Christ. And, by, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time in these churches, so, as I mentioned, but I want us to look at Revelation chapter 2, the church of Smyrna briefly, and just spend a few minutes there because this is a very poor church, physically poor church. And I don't have time to get into the background and everything because I'm not here to study Revelation at this point. But when you look at the church of Smyrna, it's one of the only churches, there's, only, there's seven churches that Jesus addresses. There's only two churches that he doesn't criticize. They doesn't come down on because of their uh, false doctrine or their sinful behavior. And Church of Smyrna is one and the Church of Philadelphia is another. I want to look at another church other than Smyrna, uh, Laodicea, just briefly as well. But that church he comes down on. This church he does not come down on at all. And it's only a few verses long because he doesn't have to set a lot of things straight for them because they are a church that's actually walking with him and shining for him. And this doesn't mean they were a perfect church, but there wasn't any false doctrine that was corrupting them. They weren't walking in wickedness and, and, and using some kind of license to get away with their behavior in their own minds. They're a poor church, though. And in verse 8, he says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The first and the last, who was dead and has come to life, says this. And there's a reason Jesus takes from his introduction, which is a vision of him that John writes about in chapter 1, and ties it into the different churches, different parts sometimes of that vision. And here he is the one who was put to death but came to life. And he's letting them know that because they're going to be, some of them may be put to death, okay? And he wants to let them know, hold on to the spiritual reality that you have the future resurrection. You have eternal life. You have the resurrection coming up in the future. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. But notice what he says. He knows their tribulation. They're going through a lot of trials and he knows their poverty. But he, what does he say right after that? But thou art rich. And if you've got the same, you know, translation I have, but you are rich is, is in parenthetical, you know, got the little parenthesis uh, there. Uh, in the Greek, there's no parenthesis like that. He just says, you are rich. And he wants, he doesn't want that to be something you might just skip over <laughs> or just, you know, oh yeah, they're rich. No, that's to me one of the most profound things about this church is, is even though physically they're going through trials, 
They don't have a lot of money as a fellowship, you know. They're not the richest church in the world. In fact, they're one of the poorest, perhaps. The Lord says, Jesus says, you are rich. And that's so important for us to understand as believers, no matter where we're at spiritually, I should say, I'm sorry, physically, in the material world, if you have Jesus, you are rich. And the enemy is an expert at trying to get your minds and your eyes off of that spirituality and wants you to try to keep up with the Joneses, you know. And, wants to, and he just advertises things to death to make you feel discontent. That's how advertisers work, right? You know that those who've developed Facebook and a lot of these uh, forms and so forth that uh, we see in social media, some of these leaders have come out and admitted of some of these different forms that, that they use greed and they try to make these things addicting. So you're never content, so you have to keep coming back. And even though they admit these things, people have this addiction to where they want more and more, and it could be more and more of this or that or the other. But in Christ, we, ought, we need to make sure that we are embracing Christ in such a way through faith to where we're looking at him first in our lives. And when, we, when he's truly first in our lives, he's truly first in your life, my life, then we have contentment. The name of this message is contentment in Christ. And I, sometimes I'll give a verse that I'm going through, or a main verse that I'm looking at, that I'm launching from. This one I just put, you know, selected scriptures because I want to move around a little bit through the Bible. But this church is poor, but he says, you are rich. And now it's interesting because he says to them right after that, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Because he's saying, I know, I know your tribulation. I know uh, that you're a poor, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they're Jews are not but the synagogue of Satan. Then he says in verse 10, do not fear what you're about to suffer. So they have tribulation, but they're going to suffer even more. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. So they're going to go through, some of them are going to be thrown in prison. They'll be tested for 10 days to deny their faith. Because a lot of times throughout church history, Christians are persecuted, but they're let go. They, they let them go if they'll denounce Christ. That seems to be the context here. But notice what he says at the end of verse 10. Be faithful, how long? Until you give, until you make a decision at the altar call? Is that when he says you have faithful that long? No. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you what? The crown of life. Amen? And in the Greek, he's speaking the crown of which, which is life. You know, eternal life. And then he says in verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the what? Second death. The second death is contrasted with the crown of life. We know what the second death is because later in the book of Revelation, we read in chapter 20, uh, verses 11 through 15, those whose names are not written in the last book of life are thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. So here they're held out two options. There two options are held before them. They're a faithful church. They're rich spiritually. They're truly born again, but they need to continue their race, be faithful unto death. And if they are, they're, they're faithful, they'll receive the crown of life. He that overcomes, and we know what it means to overcome because he tells us in Revelation 12, 11, you remember that profile, the overcomer? And they overcame him, that is the devil in that context. Verse 11 of chapter 12, they overcame him by, by the blood of the lamb. The, grounding of our, the ground of our victory is the gospel, amen? We get victory over Satan, because of what Jesus did in dying for our sins on the cross. Amen? He rose again, conquered the enemy, and through faith in him, we're set free from our sins. That is riches right there. 
being set free from the debt of your sin, which deserves eternal punishment and eternal separation in the lake of fire forever and ever. And you've been set free of that debt. And that's right there. That's rich enough. Amen. But that's just part of the riches we have in Christ. And he says, you know, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. That's your confession that Jesus Christ is your Lord. And then the number three, and they loved not their lives even unto death. Meaning they continued to confess Christ and they didn't fall away under the point of death. And that's huge. That's so important. And they get, what do they get? They get the crown of life. So this is a poor church. And if you were looking at this church, if this was a church in your community, it would be considered a poor church, you know? It'd be like that hole in the wall restaurant, you know? Well, they don't have a lot of money. Maybe some of the chairs are ripped up and torn inside. But man, the food is good. And man, the service, they're so sweet. And man, that cook can, man, he can cook, right? And you're like, man, don't tell anybody about this place, you know? And, uh, and it's not too expensive either, right? You know? How many like Campos in Simi Valley? Anybody? I like it because, man, it's cheap tacos, but they're so good, you know? Anyway, uh, not calling it a hole in the wall, you know, but... <laughs> <laughs> But you know what? This church, you'd look at it, and if the world was a judge, it'd say, yeah. Or if the popular, you know, prosperity gospel church, you know, where they, the, you know, blab it and grab it, name it and claim it, say you're rich and you'll be rich. You know, if they looked at this church, they think, oh, this church is, does not have God's favor. This church is not blessed. Amen? That's how they would look at it. They're not confessing their riches enough. But that's not the true gospel, the prosperity gospel. Our riches are in Christ, which blow away anything the prosperity gospel can offer. And the, this church is truly rich in Jesus. And, and if you saw them spiritually, you would see people that are filled with God's spirit, whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, who have a, uh, their, home, <laughs> their homes in heaven are being prepared for them. Amen. Blow away anything that's on this earth. Do you realize that's who you are in Christ if you are trusting Jesus, that you are spiritually rich? You're way richer than Bill Gates. I feel sorry for that guy. He's so poor. He needs Jesus. He is, you know? And when you have spiritual eyes and you realize this life is a vapor, amen? And if you own or, or rent a house, you're just there for a little while. And before you know, it's gone, you know? And it belongs to somebody else. Our lives are vapors, you know? And you, but you recognize your home that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also, amen? Is eternal in the heavens. It's just mind-blowing. And this life is a vapor. It is so quick. And then there's this other church, the church of Laodicea, chapter 3. And uh, this church, well, this church he has some of the strongest things to speak against. And it's the really rich church. And I'm not only talking about churches so much today as our own lives, but the church is not the building. It's the body of Christ. Amen. And local churches are part of the body of Christ. And uh, we are part, we are stones in the body of Christ. And we ourselves are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the churches, well, at the end of each church, you know, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, which Chad had mentioned. We're supposed to learn from them. And in verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds and you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm and neither cold or neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's a powerful warning. 
Can you imagine being spit out of the body of Christ, the mouth of Jesus? Verse 17, because you say, I am rich. Now, this church does not have a name that they're poor, but they're really rich. This is a church that has a name, their, their reputation is that they're rich, but they're really poor spiritually. Because you say, I'm rich, and I have, need of, uh, and I have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I can't help but think and I believe, I have no doubt in my mind, the Lord wanted us to make a contrast between Smyrna and Laodicea. Laodicea was this rich coastal church that had just, you know, I mean, I should say not rich coastal church, I'm thinking of Corinthian church, but a rich church that had everything. And I wanted to go into their riches, but I'm not going to do that, you know. Go back and listen to the tapes on Revelation. They were so rich, you know. And, uh, but it's interesting, they were really poor. And what's interesting is if you looked at this church, it would be almost like maybe a mega church, you know. They've got all the money. They've got all the gadgets, you know. They've got the coffee bar. They even got a little deli maybe, you know, or whatever. They've got all this stuff going on. It's like, wow, what a cool church. This church is so rich. And, but the church they Laodicea, they were poor because there were a lot of affluent people there because they lived in a very affluent area that was really blessed at that time in the sense of having material opportunities but those material opportunities aren't always a blessing. And this church was truly poor. In fact, you know what? It doesn't matter where you go, where you move, where you live. There's always going to be thorns in the flesh. There's always going to be struggles in this world. Otherwise, you'll forget that you need Jesus, you know. And this church is kind of interesting because they had water. I don't have time to go into the background, but it's really interesting. There water that flowed into Laodicea from actually another area where another church that's addressed, uh, not here but elsewhere, is found. By the time the water got there, it wasn't cold. So it was, you, you drink it and it wasn't cold. Where a lot of times you have water, you pull water out, and, but this water has been in the heat. By the time you get it, it's not cold and it's not like refreshing. And they're like, man, and they don't have ice in those days, you know. I mean, a Roman emperor might be able to get some ice as he sent horsemen to Switzerland or whatever, and they'd get some ice and they'd send it back with several horses and some of those horses would die, you know, and the guy could have an icy. You, we take a lot for granted, guys. You don't realize how rich you are physically compared to Laodiceans, by the way. You could just have ice. They couldn't just have ice. And they're like, man, we got this water. But it's lukewarm. It's not even hot. They can't make coffee with it, you know. They have to heat it up and go through the trouble. It's not like a hot spring. It's not, and it's not like cold. It's lukewarm. And the Lord allows that because guess what? Our contentment is not to be found in the things that we have. Amen. It's to be found in Jesus. And they partook of Jesus saying, hey, you guys are like that. You guys are lukewarm. Just like you don't like your lukewarm water, you know, I would that you were hot or cold. And most commentators think hot means on fire for Jesus. Cold means, you know, just indifferent and not wanting Jesus. But that's, I don't think the picture, the picture there is hot or cold would be better than lukewarm, right? And hot, warm would be useful. Luke, uh, cold would be useful water to them. And in this context, it's like, you aren't useful. You aren't pleasant. You're lukewarm. He's about ready to spit them out of his mouth. And he says to them, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So 
they were known, I don't want to get into the background, I'm being tempted right now, but they were known for, for these radical clothes I'm not going to get into. But he says, you're naked. And your shame of your nakedness is going to be exposed. And by the way, what Jesus says to the churches often relate to what's going to happen later in the tribulation period. And that's, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that the church is going through the tribulation. In fact, that what's going on in the churches, he's warning them in the context of, of all of us hearing what he's saying to the churches. So we're not caught with our pants down. What do I mean? Their shame of their nakedness being exposed. That modern vernacular, the way we talk today, if someone was caught with their pants down. Well, guess what? Revelation 16, 15, the, Jesus says, you know, behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is one who stays awake and, the, and the, the shame of his nakedness is not seen. In other words, being naked uh, meant not being covered by the blood of Christ, not being covered in the robe of the righteousness of Christ's salvation. And uh, they weren't trusting in Jesus. They were trusting, many of them, I don't say all of them, but many of them were trusting in their own riches. And he wants them to have gold that has been refined by the fire, you know. He wants them to go through the trials and seek Jesus, like the church of Smyrna. He knew their tribulation, amen? They had a name that there were, you know, well, with them, you know. He says, I know your poverty, but you are rich. Well, guess what? These guys... They were spiritually poor. The church of Smyrna were clothed in the robes of Christ's righteousness, the riches of his righteousness, amen? And they had a destiny in him, and they had the crown of life coming. This church, their future is to be spit out of the body of Christ if they don't repent, which is really, really heavy. And I just want you to understand that God looks at where you're at spiritually as the most important thing. And you ought to look at yourself and where you're at spiritually as the most important thing in your life, where I'm at with Jesus. You're not going to be judged on judgment day. It's not the most, as the most toys wins, right? It's whoever has Jesus, amen? And we win because of him. The true riches, Jesus talked about the true riches, spiritual riches, which is very important. There's a, uh, uh, his, a little interesting thing, Ali Hafed was a, a, a gentleman who had a farm. He had a nice, a beautiful farm, animals, had a brook that went through the farm. And somebody came through and shared with him how there were these diamond mines that people were discovering. And if he went to this strange land, he could find this diamond mine and be incredibly rich. I mean, the guy's on a farm. Can you imagine being on a farm? Brooks going through the farm. Beautiful, you know? But he wasn't content. And he went away to search for a diamond mine. And he died poor because he sold his land to another guy. And he died poor looking for diamonds, trying to be rich. And that happens with many, many people. But it's interesting. The guy that bought his land, one day his camel... He was watching him drink in, through, in the brook. He saw something shiny flash. The guy that buys land. He was like, what was that? He went, and guess what? A diamond. And guess what? Acres of diamonds. And he discovered what became the, the most magnificent diamond mine in the world of Golconda there. The guy just sold the richest diamond mine ever. It's right there. He already had it. It was on his land. He sells it to this other guy looking for diamonds. He dies in a strange land. And guess what? He dies poor. But he was rich all along. And what breaks my heart is people sell Jesus. 
You can't sell Jesus, but in people's minds, what is it? Profit man, if he gains the whole world, Jesus says, and loses his soul, right? But they sell him out. And they go and look for riches of this world. And before you know it, they're dying because our life is a vapor. And if you don't have Christ, you really don't have anything. And my heart breaks because those who don't have Jesus and don't have a relationship with Jesus, I mean, they don't have anything ultimately. But if you have Christ, what do you have? You have, the Bible says, all the treasures of God's knowledge and wisdom are in Christ. The Bible says we are complete in Christ. The Bible says he is our redemption. He is our salvation. He is the wisdom of God. Amen? It's amazing what we have when we realize who we have in Christ. You are rich in Christ. And yes, when somebody says, hey, you know, get the little trivia question at work. Hey, you know who's the richest man in the world now? Say, yeah. Oh, you, you read it? Who's richest now? <laughs> yeah, I read it. It's in the Bible, man. I am. You know? <laughs> what do you mean you are? Then explain the good news, the gospel, the euangelion, man. We are the richest people in the world. Yet, you know what? Paul warns that he beats his body down. So that after 1 Corinthians 9 and chapter 10, he goes on to elaborate on how important this is. He beats his body down, so after he's preached the gospel to others, he himself would not be rejected, a dakamas, right? And then he goes on to talk about Jews who, after they were set free from the land of Egypt, were complaining. They're on their way to the promised land. And they complain their way into just judgment and don't reach the promised land because they get their eyes on this world. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 10, right after he talked about beating his own body down, he says, don't complain. He says, nor, or nor grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroyer. Wow. They were wiped out. God brought judgment upon them. He just set them free with miracles, right, with power, and that they're, they're causing them, trying to cause some of them a, a, a mutiny, you know, against Moses and Aaron and so forth. And, and 14,700 people were wiped out by God there in Numbers chapter 16, verses 41 through 49. Because they're complaining. God doesn't like complaining. He doesn't like it when people are ungrateful. Just, that's me. I got to speak directly. Because the scriptures speak directly, you know. We have to be true to the word. Amen. Don't be a whiner. Don't be a complainer. There's so much to be grateful for. Are you one of those people where people are like, oh, this person's going to complain about this person now. Oh, they're not going to You know. Don't be one of those people. Amen. You want to speak the truth in love. Amen. And we don't want to be complaining about what we don't have. We want to be rejoicing in who we do have. Amen? Okay, it doesn't mean we don't recognize our needs, but we're supposed to take them to the Lord. Amen? Make your needs known to the Lord. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. Amen? I love that. By not being conformed to the world, I'm being transformed as I look to Christ who transforms my mind, your mind as well as we seek him, and then he reveals his will to us. We get more and more clarity. But if, you, if you're one of those folks that you're just never content, and you'll never be content if you're looking at Jesus, but if you're looking to Jesus, you'll be content. The scriptures say that those who keep their eyes on the Lord, he keeps in perfect peace. You keep your eyes on Jesus, he'll keep you in perfect peace. Are you doing that today? Are you doing that throughout the week? There's all kinds of temptation the enemy's going to drop in front of you. You have to resist it. You have to resist it. Because more and more and more does not satisfy. 
The only one who satisfies is Jesus. In fact, in Ephesians 4.19, when Paul's talking about putting off the old man and putting on the new person in Christ, he says of those who don't know Jesus, he says, they became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with the desire, listen to this, with the desire for more and more. What's going on there? He's talking about the world becomes callous. Their hearts become calloused. They're given over to sexual sin. And then they just want more and more because they're never satisfied. It's a lie. When Satan dangles that carrot before you, man or woman, it is a lie. It does not satisfy. You know, that's why you see people that are promiscuous are very miserable people. They're like dead inside. You look at them. I've counseled people, you know. I counseled a couple of people that came from another church, a big church, a Laodicean, perhaps, type church. And they look like death warmed over, man. And I counseled them, and they wanted me to marry them to each other. And I saw them, the day that I saw them walk into this fellowship was a Wednesday night, and my heart just broke because I thought, these guys look like they both are really, really sick, but it looked spiritual. They were like literally pale gray. And I was like, oh, man, well, something's going on in their lives, you know. Someone died. I don't know what happened. Then they want me to counsel them counsel them and they want me to marry them to each other premarital counseling what's going on here well we both are married to someone else and we go to the same church and we both serve in the same sunday school class but our partners that go to the church as well we're just they gave me the reasons they weren't content with their partners there was no biblical grounds for divorce partners hadn't cheated on them and i told them i can't marry you guys biblically you know, you guys, that's sin, you know. And I said, and I was, uh, why did you choose me? And then the guy, because he called me up a few days later because I said, no, I'm not going to marry you. You guys got to get right with God, you know. He called me up a few days later and said, well, she said she'd only marry me if you would agree to it because she knows you're a biblical pastor, you know. And if, because he had like a stack of papers that were probably got from the internet, you know, when I first sat down with him. And he's like, yeah, I believe I can marry her and leave my spouse and so forth. And, and they were going to marry in the same situation because the way they explained their spouses was, you know, it was almost as though he was explaining her and she was explaining him when I was listening to their problems. It was just heartbreaking. And my heart just, I prayed for them. I felt for them because they were in sin. And I just let them know, you know, they didn't have peace, guys. You could just see they were just riddled with, just despair and hopelessness. And that's what sin does. It promises you something, but it doesn't deliver. And in, here it says, uh, with every kind of impurity, with a desire for more and more. More and more. Like that whole Pac-Man thing again. You just can't get enough. And you never win. You're just empty in the end. And it's not good. I mean, Jesus spoke to the soldiers, and some soldiers were questioning him, saying, and what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wage. Wow. Be content with your wage. It doesn't mean you can't find another job, but it means don't be a whiner. Don't be a complainer. Don't make that your main focus in life. Amen. Crowd to the Lord and he will meet our needs according to his riches and glory. Philippians 4.19. Amen. So more and more doesn't satisfy Ecclesiastes 2.10. Anything my eyes desired, Solomon, remember Solomon, he had all kinds of wealth. Did it satisfy him? Not when he wasn't right with the Lord. 
And only the Lord satisfies anything my eyes desired. I did not deny myself. I refused my heart no pleasure, for my heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward of all my labor. That's chapter 2, verse 10. Chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, verse 11. Then when I considered all the works of my hands had accomplished and what I had toiled to achieve, I found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Chapter 1, verse 8. All things are wearisome, more than one can describe. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear content with hearing. Wow. Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Isn't that the truth? If you love money, you never have enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. It's all empty. It's like chasing bubbles. I caught the bubble. Yeah, it's gone, man. Except worldly bubbles that you chase don't clean your hands, you know. Proverbs 27, 20. Hell and destruction are never full. Wow. Hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. So that's the fleshly man walking in the, in the flesh. Never satisfied, you know. Look at these rich, powerful, elite people in the world, you know. It's not enough for them to have money. They want power. They want power over you, you know. They want a bunch of pawns. They want to be God, and they're not God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. What kind of person are you? Are you always coveting? Are you always wanting more? And, you know, is that your, your life is about, I got to have more and more and more? Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. In other words, instead of wanting more and more of material things, realize, man, your treasure is in the Lord and he'll never leave you or forsake you, right? If you're trusting Jesus, he's there for you. Amen? I love what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Wow. And then in chapter 6, verse 23, he said this, or 32, I'm sorry, and following. For the pagans run after these things. And we're not supposed to be conformed to the pagans. So we see the pagans, the worldly people that don't know Jesus, running after, and riches are the main thing they want. The pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows your, your need of them. He knows what you need, right? But seek first, Jesus says, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek his kingdom, right? And his righteousness, living before him in the right way, according to his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. The things that you need, he's going to add to you. Everybody here I'm looking around at, I see, has clothes on. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. (laughs) But he takes care of us. Amen. And if somebody was like, man, but I didn't come because I have no clothes. Call us up. We got clothes. We'll get together and get, get you some clothes. Amen. Lord takes care of us. He loves us. So it's interesting because in the Old Testament, if I asked you who, if I asked you the question, who do you think suffered more than anybody? You'd probably say Job. Some might say Joseph, you know. In the New Testament, if I asked you who suffered the most, you would say, you should say, well, before Paul was one that suffered more, obviously, Jesus. But as far as, you know, one who's not God and man, Paul. 
Paul, man. I mean, it's crazy what he went through. So I look at his life and I think, man, this is the guy who talks about being content, you know, when he's suffering. And in 2 Corinthians 11, if you want to go there, you can. Verse 23, Paul says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. Because Paul doesn't want to boast about his ministry and who he is in Christ. But he's saying, hey, but there's these false apostles, these so-called super apostles that are deceiving the people. And Paul's saying, they're not real. And he's saying, look, he says, I've been far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number. Can't even count the times he's been beaten. Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. They stopped at 39 because they felt 40 could kill you, 40 or more. So he's whipped 39 lashes five different times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. Remember Paul, they're floating around after the ship sunk and waiting on the Lord to rescue them. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. You want to be a missionary for Jesus? Things can get really, really rough at times. Amen. Apart from such external things, verse 28, there is a daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. And this is one of his lists. He gives another list that's similar to this of the things he was going through. Yet this same Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, which we studied a few months ago, and we're still going to finish that little passage there. Uh, but he says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly. And now, last, you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you have concerned you have, you have concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. He says, not that I speak from want. So I'm not speaking to you guys about a desire I have, a need that's not being met that, you know, I'm not asking you to, to help me. He's writing from prison. And he says this, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be what? Content in whatever circumstances I am. He learned how to be content. Have you learned how to be content yet? I know how to get along with humble means. Nothing to eat. Could you do that? If you found yourself seeking the Lord, you're on the mission field, and all of a sudden you're like, I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I thought you're going to meet all my needs according to riches of glory. Well, you have to put all the scriptures together. Sometimes he tests us, amen? Sometimes there's circumstances, right? And you have to wait on him before the food might come, and you might be without food for a number of days. Would you freak out and say, how could God have abandoned me? No, Paul knows, man. When he first got saved, and the Lord said he was going to send him to the Gentiles, he was the apostle of the Gentiles. Do you remember? He said, the Lord showed me how much I must suffer for his name. When you become a Christian, the Bible says, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So he will meet our needs according to his riches and glory, but he won't always meet our needs in our own timing. Amen? So we have to, that's where faith kicks in. And you have to be content because if you realize, wow, I'm going without food right now, okay? Or I'm going without this right now. Or I'm going without that right now. But if you realize, but I have Jesus, amen? You know, just a man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, amen? And that's where our joy is. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So he says, I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live with in prosperity. He knew how to be happy 
if he only had half a french fry to eat. And he knew how to be happy if he had a steak to eat. He said, I learned how to be happy in both situations. How to be content in both situations. You say, well, it's easy to be content when he was in prosperity. No, because prosperity, if you look at your prosperity and the, the blessings that you receive and you begin to fixate on them, you will not be content because then you'll be fixated on material prosperity and you'll always feel like you have less than somebody else. That doesn't bring the happiness, guys. If I just had this, then I would be happy. No, you wouldn't. You just want more. If you just would have Jesus and trust in him and truly seek him, then you'll be blessed. Then you have the joy of the Lord, amen? The fruit of the Spirit is love and peace and joy, amen? That doesn't come from material things. Love and peace and joy and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. These things don't come to you through physical things. I can't hold this pulpit and all of a sudden have joy eventually from this pulpit. I can't go hug someone's Porsche, say, oh, I wish I had this. I'd be happy. It's not going to give me any goodness and joy. It's just the thought of, well, wow, this would be awesome. Wrong. It's not where your joy is going to come from. Joy comes from a person and the fruit of the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit in you. The Lord God living in you. He gives us joy. We experience his joy. Amen. Jesus had joy, it says, beyond his companions. Hebrews chapter 1. Even though he's called, in Isaiah chapter 53, the man of sorrows. He wept over Jerusalem. He wept over those who hurt, those who were rejecting the gospel because he knew their future. Yet he had this incredible joy within because of who he is and because of who he has in the Father and who he is in himself and his relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because joy is relational. Love is relational. If it's just you and your Mercedes-Benz or your Porsche or your Ferrari or whatever you prefer, you're alone. That Ferrari's just a Ferrari. And oh yeah, you can, but if it's just you and your Ferrari, you might have a good time. Wow, look at me and my cool Ferrari and how fast it is. That's going to wear off pretty quick. Amen? When it breaks down, when somebody keys it because you're so arrogant or, or whatever it is, you know. You're just going to, it's, the joy isn't going to stick, you know. The joy sticks in Jesus, man, because he's the one that gives us joy. He is, God is love, amen. And when he lives in you, you have love, amen. And the love of God is shed abroad, it says, in our hearts. And we experience his love as we walk in him. So I love what Paul says here because it's really amazing because he's saying, I know how to get along in humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Yeah, there was times where Paul was doing great. There's other times like when he's writing from this prison, he's chained between two guards. But he's saying he has joy. And I mentioned to you before, Philippians mentions his joy more than any other book in the New Testament. He's writing from prison. He's telling them, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice as well. And that's another passage that we're actually studying itself. But it's interesting here because he has this incredible joy. And he says he learned the secret. Do you guys remember what the secret was that he learned? It wasn't the movie, The Secret, that's out. You know, that's a lie for the pit of hell. That's, you know, it starts the video, the first video for that documentary. They're, they're pushing, they're rubbing a, or they have this like, you know, genie come out and offer you whatever you want. You just have to confess it. It's where the word faith gets its occult doctrine from. The prosperity gospel is out of the occult. That's a lie. But Paul talks about the secret long before that so-called secret. And now it's been dramatized into a movie. It's been out right now, I guess, on a direct TV and I don't know if it's on Netflix or not. Uh, that whole thing. But we have the secret. And Paul goes on to say what it is. Verse 13, 
I can do all things through Christ or through him, which is Christ, who strengthens me. That means no matter how impoverished you are or how much prosperity you have, you can have contentment in Jesus, amen, and having a relationship with him. I know that personally. I've been a Christian for years and years and years, and uh, I've never had a day where I felt un- discontented with my life, ever. You can ask my wife, you can ask my family, because I have Jesus. You can't give me more than I already have, you know? And I've had furniture that's been all my life pretty much given to us, you know? I have a truck that was given to me, you know, but I wasn't seeking. I had 200 and some thousand miles on my truck and I was happy with it. In fact, I was offered vehicles a couple times prior to that. And I said, no, both times when I'd been offered vehicles. No. I'm... And the third time I couldn't get out of it because I was trapped. You're going to sign here. I'm like, okay, this is maybe from Jesus. Yeah, I think it is. Praise the Lord. You know, and my whole life has been that way. But, I w- but if you ask my wife, I mean, I, we lived in a 700-square-foot home uh, for, you know, first, second place we were in. I was happy there. Man, to hear birds singing, praise God. I know what I deserve. I know where I should be forever, separated from God. This is all whipped cream, man. It's all a blessing. And whatever I go through that's bad, I'm always, it's easy to say, it could be way worse, right? could be way worse, and it's not going to stay this way. It'll get better because he promises that he works all things together for the good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, you know? And we look at the Jews who were complaining, or the Israelites complaining about wanting to go back to Egypt, and did they forget the slavery they were in? Did they forget all the labor and how they were dying under that labor? Yeah. And we look at them and say, how come they're complaining? How come we, they're grumbling? And, and are we that much different at times? We've been delivered by a much greater salvation, amen? Not from Pharaoh, but from Satan. And not by the blood of Passover lambs, but the ultimate Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. God became a man to redeem us. And how could we even want to go back to that dead end, which is, ends at the lake of fire? Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, right after he says what I read to you about how he learned the secret of being content, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Catch that? Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. So we are in a crooked and perverse generation and we're supposed to do everything without complaining, without grumbling. So when you're at work, I'm just encouraging you in Jesus because I love you. When you're at work and they're complaining about the boss and stuff, don't jump in and pile on on the boss. Pray for him. I mean, you gotta be really careful. I mean, if people are saying, hey, I've been mistreated and so forth, try to find from the Lord, say, Lord, give me wisdom here because I know that I belong to you because you're supposed to shine as a light. It says, Paul says, do all things without grumbling and disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. So you're supposed to at work appear as a light to other people. They need to see you as different. And that means you don't laugh at dirty jokes when everybody's piling on someone else and complaining about them. You're praying for them. And you're praying for the people that are piling on. And that's part, I mean, you guys, if you can't stand up 
for Jesus and, and let people know who you are by shining the light of Jesus at work now, how are you going to shine for the light of Jesus when they're threatening to slit your throat, which is a lot harder, right? Right now is the time to walk. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus, that's what it says. In chapter 3, verse 12, it says, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, and evil men will wax worse and worse. People are going to get worse, but we're going to suffer persecution. Well, I never get persecuted. Well, are you shining for Jesus? Because Jesus was crucified because he was so bright. And, his, and the apostles, you know, a lot of them were martyred. And they were all persecuted. And all of us who live godly in Christ Jesus in this dark world that we're in will suffer some persecution. He says, holding fast the word of life. This is God's word. This, that's how we have light. We have his word. We have the Holy Spirit. We're his lights. Amen. Holding forth the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Wow. Brothers and sisters, Paul's like concerned. I don't want to toil in vain over you guys. Don't want you to go the other direction. You hurt the cause of Christ if you are known as, at work as the complainer, as the grumbler. And then you also claim to be Christian and love Jesus, but they don't see the love of Jesus in you because you're not trusting him. And you're constantly dissing on everybody else. And they're like, this person claims to be a Christian. And then you'd be known as a hypocrite behind your back. They might not say it to you, but, they, but you know what? You're going to be known as somebody who's shining the light of Christ or a hypocrite. Take your pick. Or a non-Christian. Well, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be known as a non-Christian. There's no undercover Christians in reality. Amen. But you need to be a real sincere believer. And you may have failed in the past. And you might be saying, man, I can't believe he's saying this right now because I've blown it. Well, this, you're here not to say, hey, you've blown it. Your life's over. But to say, let's stop blowing it. Amen? Let's make sure our hearts are right with the Lord so we can be better witnesses at work. Amen? So we shine the light more brightly of Christ. He wants us to really shine the light. I, oh, that's, in, that's easy for you to say because you're in a Christian ministry. You know? Hey, guess what? In Christian ministry, do you think I'm really concerned about what people think? Other pastors and uh, teachers and so forth? In the, I'm talking about in the Laodicean church around us. And we've got good churches around us, but I'm talking about in what's considered like the prosperity movement. And, no. The Bible says, Paul says, am I your enemy because I've told you the truth? You know? The Bible says, Paul says, uh, not to be men pleasers, but to be God pleasers. Amen? So we need to let our light shine. Paul says, if I was trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. So we're not called to be men pleasers. And I had plenty of secular jobs before I was pastoring, you know. And people knew that I was different because I, sh I talked about the Lord. And I prayed. I was trying to be wise about who I said what to, when, and so forth. And I tried to lead by example, tried to go the extra mile, tried to show kindness, tried to help others around me at work and, and be a blessing to people. And I was, by the grace of God, able to have impact, uh, even leading people to Christ that I worked with because they saw the witness of Christ. I didn't, just, I didn't have two different lives, you know? And I'm sure I ticked some people off. I mean, you come in and tell some joke that you see is really funny, and I'm like, oh, I don't find that funny because, you know, and that's wherever you go. There used to be a restaurant here in town, you know? The guy would get, I won't even say the name of it, it's not there anymore, but he'd get drunk. Sister Kathy's been there shaking her head up and down, smiling, you know. Not because you liked his jokes. You guys probably went through the same thing, right? Yeah, and when he would drink, the owner, man, he'd start telling dirty jokes. 
And I just, I got food to go a few times there. I'd go like once or twice a year, uh, some good food. And uh, I took him aside one time and said, hey, you know what? I don't want to, I've told you before, I don't, you know, can't remember my exact words, but please, you know. And I was with my wife and I think we had two kids at the time. And he comes back, tell a joke. It's a clean one. I'm like, what's he doing? Oh, okay. Wasn't, it was moderately funny, but uh, <laughs> at least it was clean, you know. Food was better, but hey, you know. So we have to make sure we let our light shine before Jesus because we don't want to hurt the world. And by the way, being a complainer and, being a, and not being content and being a whiner, that's not a really good advertisement for Jesus. Like, I want Jesus because, I mean, it, it, he makes you miserable. And you don't need to be miserable. You can be rejoicing in Jesus, amen? And a lot of the saints, man, I know a lot of believers have been through a whole lot of hardship, but they just have the joy of the Lord, you know? Uh, Proverbs 14.30. It's not just bad for your witness, it's bad for your health, by the way, being a grumbler, a whiner, a complainer. Proverbs 14.30 says, a heart at peace gives life to the body. Do you catch that? A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. If you have envy, it'll rot your bones. It's interesting. A Penn State University study, listen to this, an article from Penn State University, uh, complaining is also bad for your health. I love it when science finally catches the Bible 2,000 years later. <laughs> Actually, more than 2,000, right? Proverbs was written <laughs> about, you know, almost 3,000 years ago. When you complain, your body releases more of the hormone that shifts a hum to a human uh, into a flight or, I'm sorry, uh, when you complain, your body releases more of the hormone that shifts a human into a flight or flight mode, the hormone known as cortisol. This directs oxygen, blood, and energy from any system that is not crucial to survival. Frequent complaining results in, system, in extra cortisol being released. In other words, you need cortisol spread out through different functions of your body, but when you're in the flight mode, which is not supposed to be often, it's, not, it's taxing on those areas of your body, in modern English, right? And therefore, those other parts of your body are being taxed. And they can be, if it's continuous, then that really can bring severe health problems. It goes on to say, uh, frequent complaining results in extra cortisol being released, which puts a person more at risk for high cholesterol, diabetes, heart disease, obesity, and strokes. So, I mean, it's bad for you. The Bible says complaining is bad for your health, but being at peace with Jesus is good for your health. Amen? On November 4, 2010, Eunice Sandhorn, or Sandborn, she became the world's oldest woman, right? And uh, she celebrated her 114th birthday on July 20th, 2010, just a little bit later. And it's interesting because they were asking her about her life, you know, and how did she live to 114? And, and they didn't really have to ask her about spiritually, because she was celebrating her, her birthday, it says, at this uh, Baptist church, First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Texas, and when they asked her about her life, she had said she had no complaints. <laughs> After 114 years, I have no complaints. Well, that to me seems like a lot of the secret, you know? She's not complaining. If anybody had someone to, something to complain about, you think 114 years of living, you'd have some things to complain about, <laughs> right? But she's like content, you know? And it's just interesting. That's why Paul says in Philippians 4, 4 through 8, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness, your gentle spirit be no, made known to all men. See, you've got a gentle spirit. You're not like, man, I wish I could slit the, the, the boss's tires today. 
you know. And, but praise God, I'm going to church later tonight. Maybe I could do it before, you know. You know, that's, that is, but that would be an obvious contradiction. But guess what? People see Christians like that as being two-faced at times. And there are many professing Christians who are like that. Isn't that true? We ought not be like that. Uh, let your gentle spirit be made, made. So you're supposed to rejoice. And again, he says rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. I mean, in light of his coming, whether he comes or you die soon, he's near. You want to be, make sure you're right with him. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And that's the verse we're still going to study as we've gone through. Somebody just uh, texted me. They said, man, Joe, I've been listening because uh, they they're not here. They live in another state. They said, I've been listening to, uh, you know, the, 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 message, the series on rejoicing. And we're still going to finish that series. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we're called to not be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. That's a key part of that verse. Don't just pray. Give thanks for what you have. Amen. Wouldn't you love it if your kids, how many of you have kids? or grandkids, and they come up to you, and they want this, that, and the other. Wouldn't you just be blessed if they said, Mommy, you know, can I have a cookie? But if you don't give me a cookie, praise, praise God anyway. You're such a great mommy. I'm so thankful for that truck you bought me last Christmas. I was just playing with it in the backyard. Wouldn't you love that? You know? You know, I'm sorry. Just thought of that at the top of my head. But I would love that, man. Grandkids come up, put their hands out. Praise Yahweh, pop up, you know, just, you know, you and grandma are such a blessing to us, us grandkids, you know, and mommy and daddy, man, they're the best, you know, but guess what? We look, we laugh at that because that's not normal, right? And that's not normal for us before the father, because we're just grown up kids often. And when I say normal, it's not how the world thinks, but we're not supposed to be worldly minded. We're supposed to be spiritually minded. Amen? And you would probably blow the father away if you're one of those guys or gals that just says, gimme, gimme, gimme. If you said, Lord, I have this need, but praise you and I thank you for this and I thank you for that. And you're such a blessing. And just like that would bless your heart if you're a parent or a grandparent, that really blesses the father's heart. Amen? And by the way, my grandkids come up and they, and by the way, I have great grandkids, you know, and they're grateful at times for different things in different ways, you know. But we're, guess what? That's they're, they're, how little kids are, picture how adults are often. And we need to be more thankful because we have so much to be thankful for. Amen? And I love verse 8. He goes on to say this. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So we dwell on God's truth. Anything true? God's word. Amen? The Lord Jesus Christ, he's the way, the truth, and the life. You meditate on him, and, and I don't want to go through that whole list because that'll be one of our studies because I've actually worked a lot on that series and we just got to preach through the rest of it. He says, think on these things, man. But Hollywood is constantly trying to get you to think on other things, right? The music industry is trying to get you to think of what you don't have. The Hollywood's trying, Madison Avenue, you know, the advertising world, you know, constantly you don't have this, you don't have this. But man, if you're constantly getting light from your television, instead of light from God's word, you're going to be discontent eventually. I'm not being legalistic and saying you can't ever watch TV. I'm saying make sure God's word is abiding in you. Amen? Make sure that it has the priority in your life and that you look at everything through his word. Because Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9 says, two things I ask you. Do not refuse me before I die. 
Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you, and say, who is the Lord? And that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Don't give me riches or poverty, but because if I have too many riches, I'll forget you, Lord. But if I'm too impoverished and my needs aren't ever met, then he's going to be tempted to steal. I love it, man. The answer is in fearing the Lord and loving the Lord and seeking him. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. I love that. The fear of the Lord leads to life that one may sleep satisfied. Do you fear the Lord, man? Do you recognize? Do you know the Bible says that God is a consuming fire? It's mind-boggling. But you look at Jesus, you see me, you've seen the Father, amen? He's also love. And we need to have a reverent awe of him, amen? So how did Paul, now, Paul had a lot of problems. But guess what? He had one thorn, man, that just stuck in his side that was so painful to deal with. And he was still content. Listen to what he said in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, because Paul had these incredible revelations, man. He wrote about half the New Testament, right? And there was given something to him that would keep him from exalting himself. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Somehow, some demonic entity from Satan was allowed to torment Paul, to keep me from exalting myself. Because if Paul just thought, man, I'm God's special dude, and didn't go through some severe trials... It could go to his head. He could start to forget that it's about the cross. It's about what the Lord's done for him and in him. Amen? And he said, concerning this, I implore the Lord three times that it might leave me. Lord, take this away. Three different times he cried out to the Lord. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. I love, brothers and sisters, this verse, this passage should get you through a lot of your trials right here. My grace. The Lord, instead of taking the thorn out, say, Paul, you prayed three times. I'm taking that thorn out. No, the Lord overruled and said, no. You need this in your life so you won't be lifted up in pride. Paul wrote about those who can be lifted up in pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So he said, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Then listen to this. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses. I'm what? Well content with weaknesses, with insults with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's so powerful. Get your head about what he's saying there. And he may be saying, by the way, because there's always a mystery what that thorn is. Uh, sometimes I think the thorn is basically the stuff that Satan's stirring up against him, the insults, the distresses, the persecutions, the difficulties. For instance, he said to the Galatians, you would have given your eyes to me so I could see. He seemed to have had poor vision. That might have happened from one of the times they threw rocks at him to stone to death. Who knows? For Christ's sake, for I am weak, then I am strong. So I think personally the thorn is all sorts of different things that Satan stirred up against him that really, man, man, Lord, I'd be a lot more free to preach the gospel. I'd reach so many more people. Paul, you have to go through some hardships because it's through hardships that we cry out to our Lord. Amen? It's through the pains that we go through that we seek him on a more intimate level. Amen? And that we're able to cry out to him. And, and I love it. He says, when I'm weak, I'm strong. What does that mean? Because guess what? Paul said, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Amen. 
We're not strong in ourselves. Remember that song, let the weak say I am strong. You know, the poor say I am rich, which by the way fits this message really well. I remember a gal saying to me after a Bible study one time we had when I was uh, co-teaching at a church when I was a young Christian, she said, man, when I'd sing that song, I think, yeah, I'm, let the weak say I'm strong. And she goes, I think, I'm so strong. Then I realized, oh, it's not about me being strong. It's when I'm weak, he's strong in me. And that gives me my, he's my strength. Oh, yeah, that's what that, yeah, that's what that song's about. And it was like a revelation to her. It just dawned on her. She'd been singing that song because that was one of the main songs we'd all sing in that little Bible study we had there. And that's the truth. When we're weak in ourselves, we recognize that, there, that the storm's too much for us and it makes us cry out to God, then we're strong because we rely on his strength, amen? And his grace is sufficient for us. And by the way, we often think of grace as being saving grace. And I tried to tell you for years and years and years and years and years and years that saving grace, praise the Lord, we talk about saving grace more than any type of grace, but there's other types of grace. And one of those types of grace is, is an enabling grace, empowering grace. But another type of grace that comes from God is comforting grace, Amen? And he will comfort us in the midst of whatever we go through if we're seeking him, amen? He's called the God of all comfort in the same letter that Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians. So it's important, brothers and sisters, Paul says, therefore I am well content with weaknesses. He's content. I don't care what you're going through, what thorn is in your life. Seek the Lord. Yes, by all means, Lord, please take this from me if it be your will. But at the same time, when I pray for people, I pray the Lord takes things from them if they're hardships, if there's things that look like they could be contrary to his will. But then I also end my prayers off and Lord, your will be done. Lord, may your grace be sufficient for them to get them through this trial. May you continue to turn their eyes to you, to trust in you, and get their peace from you. Amen? And that's so important. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, 7, being tested as fire tests that purifies gold through your faith, though your faith is more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring to you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Christ Jesus is revealed to the whole world. Because you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And you can trust that the Lord says he works all things together, including the thorns in your life, for the good, for those who love him, and are the call according to his purpose. Whatever the thorn is that you're bearing right now, you have to say, Lord, I trust you that you're working for this good. I don't know how, but help me not miss you in this. And help me not miss the joy I can have from seeking you, getting close to you, and having intimacy with you through this trial. Amen? He's there for you. He's saying, hey, just embrace me. I'm your life, not whatever you're seeking. Seek me and I'll give you that joy. And once you learn that your joy comes from him, then he may bless you with the blessing that you're seeking if it's according to his will. Amen? Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. We're supposed to, I love this, take care and be on your guard. In other words, guess what? Your tendency will be to, to be one that covets. That's the human nature outside of Jesus. So we need to take care and be on our guards. So are you doing that in your life? Are you taking care and being on your guard so you're not overcome with a covetous type of attitude where you just want more and more? That's so important. You know, uh, Paul says those who would be rich in this world will plunge themselves into many uh, destructions and into ruin. Not those who are rich. That could be a problem too, big time for most people, right? But those who want to be rich, 1 Timothy 6. In fact, listen to what he says. He makes it really clear in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness, Paul says, but godliness, but godliness, brothers and sisters, being like the Lord, becoming more like Jesus, actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. I love that. 
He talks right at, before that, he says, but these false teachers teach that God, listen, listen to this, guys. He says, he talks about these false teachers in 1 Timothy chapter 6 who teach that godliness is a means of financial gain. Does that sound familiar? That's a, your average TV preacher. And now I'm on television in different places, but I said your average TV preacher, right? <laughs> then he says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by, accompanied by contentment. We have to be content. We ought to be content. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Do you have food? Do you have covering? Be content with your, be content, amen? Verse 9, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith. Wow. That's the eternal riches they've wandered away from. And have pierced themselves through with many griefs. Ruin, destruction, many griefs. Doesn't sound like a good deal to me. But flee these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. I love that, man. You know, I did a whole teaching, man, just looking at lives of those who won the lottery. How many people are like, millions, hundreds of millions. Man, if I could just win the lottery. And I'm not going to go through all those guys, but, you know, I wrote a few of these guys down. Powerball winner, and I'll just say a line for each or so. Uh, Willie Seeley, he said his life is drama, but in a bad way, nonstop ever since. William Post III, nobody realizes the nightmares. Lottery winner Abraham Shakespeare, murdered for his money. Jeffrey Dampier Jr., 20 million lottery winner, right, led to his murder. Billy Rob Harrell Jr. committed suicide only two days after winning $30 million dollars. Jack Whitaker, I go through him in my They Sold Their Souls presentation, gets all this money. All of a sudden there's money in the family and then there's death and just drugs. And, and Jack Whitaker says, since I won the lottery, I think there is no control for greed, Whitaker said. I think, you have, uh, I think if you have something, there's always someone else who wants it. I wish I had torn that ticket up. That's after someone died, you know. Brothers and sisters, the world, it's, and even if you, Shield, somehow you just are wise and you shield yourself. It's, you want to be in God's will. That's where the true joy is, amen? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, I was reading about a pilot who was flying and flying with his co-pilot. And when he'd fly over the certain area in the Appalachians, he would go lower because he would just check out this certain spot and then he'd move on. And finally, the other pilot said, why do you, what's so special about that spot? Because there's like a fishing creek down there. And he goes, because... When I was a boy, I grew up fishing right in that area, and I loved it. But you know what? He said, every time I heard a plane go by, I always wished I'd be a pilot. Now I'm a pilot, and I go by that creek, and I wish I was fishing. There's a lot, to, there's a lot right there, isn't there? That we think the grass is green on the other side, and we miss the, the beauty that's right before us. Amen? Don't neglect to recognize the beauty that the Lord's given you and the treasures that you have in Christ right now. Amen? Amen? Be grateful. You have so much. Don't think if I could just have this. Be content in Jesus and recognize if you're in his will, you're in the best place you could possibly be. Amen? Now, I love the last verse of 1 Timothy 6. I was Not the last verse, but the verse that I didn't read, the next verse, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. That's one of our ministries I had long before Blessed Hope started called Fight the Good Fight Ministries. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life 
take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says this in the context, brothers and sisters, he says this in the context of not wandering away from the faith because of riches and not desiring to be rich in this world. If that's your focus, man, you're already poor because you're already not leaning on Jesus. You know, I read about a man who saw a, you know, sometimes, have you ever seen a bird of prey catch an animal? It's pretty, pretty stunning, amen? Some of these huge birds of prey even catch wolves, you know, full-grown wolves. You can watch in, in, in you know, in the, uh, some of the desert uh, areas of the world. It's pretty fascinating. But this man saw a, a, a eagle swoop down and catch a weasel. And that would be the prize for the eagle, a bald eagle, man. Bam, catches the weasel. But the weasel was turned toward the bald eagle. And he said he saw it tear out its chest and its ribs. And as he's trying to pull away, he couldn't pull away from it until he just, going for his heart, just plunged to the ground. Boom. Eagle dead, weasel walk, walks off. Amen. And sometimes we think, man, if I could just have that, my life would be. That, that bald eagle's probably thinking, man, that weasel looks so yummy but he didn't count the cost. He got his heart apparently torn out. And you have to be careful that which you're seeking. You want to seek Jesus, amen? You want to make sure your heart doesn't get torn out. You want to lay hold of not the weasel and Satan's kingdom. You want to lay hold of eternal life, amen? You want to lay hold of Jesus, you know? You don't want to be like Ali Hafed who went searching for a diamond mine and died poor, not realizing that his land contained the greatest diamond mine up to that time in history. You don't want to forget and fail to recognize who you have in Jesus, that you have eternal life, amen? That you have forgiveness, you have justification, you have regeneration, the Holy Spirit living in you and making you a new person, amen? You have sanctification whereby you're becoming more like Christ, Amen? Amen? And you have ultimately in Christ ultimate glorification because he is our life. As Jesus said to the church at Smyrna, I am he that liveth and was dead. Or he said to all the churches actually in chapter 1, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore and have the keys of hell and death. Amen? That's just wonderful what we have in Christ. And I want, I, you know, this message may not fall on, your, on deaf ears. May you not leave here affected if you're already in the right place, seeking Jesus, going for it, growing in him, and you're like, yes, amen and amen, and you're amen in the message, may it just, just be in you deeper, amen? But if you're one who's like, man, Joe, I really need to hear this, because my mind's been wandering, I've been thinking, man, I've been just focused on riches and making a lot of money and so forth, and no, man, let's focus on seeking first, as Jesus said, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things that we need, Jesus said, will be added to us, Amen. Because you know what? If you die without Jesus, in the end, you have nothing, amen? If you die with Jesus and you have nothing else, you die with everything, amen? Because Jesus did say this. He said, you believe in God to his apostles? Be of good cheer, he said. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house, he said, there are many mansions or many dwelling places. If we're not so, he said, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. Amen. And I will receive you, receive you back up to, unto myself. And you know, 
that home I was saying when somebody says, did you, you know, who the richest man in the world is? When someone shows you a really nice home, say, man, wouldn't it be awesome to live here? Open up the book of Revelation and read chapter 21 and chapter 22, the last two chapters of the Bible to him. Say, this is my home. Check this out. Streets of gold, shines like a diamond, like a bride prepared for her husband coming to the earth. And you have, according to Scripture, if you're trusting Jesus, you have access to the tree of life, which bears 12 kinds of fruit, a different kind every month. The, the river of life that comes from the throne of God. You're an heir to that kingdom. Amen? We have untold riches that will just blow you away. It says, eye has not seen and ear has not heard what the Lord has prepared for those who love him. Amen? It's mind-boggling. Recognize you are rich in Jesus. Amen? And serve him, love him, and live for him. I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm not saying don't be responsible. But what I'm saying is don't let that be your main focus. Amen? Make working hard for Jesus be your main focus. Amen? And by the way, after Jesus said those things about in my Father's house there are many dwelling places, he went on to say in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through who? Through me. You want to know the way to the eternal riches? For me, the eternal riches is not the place as much as a person. That's where the true joy is, knowing Jesus, amen, and knowing the Father. And Jesus said, this is the eternal life that they might know thee, the only true God speaking of the Father, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. You want eternal life that only comes through relationship with Jesus. Because apart from Jesus, you are dead in your sins, separated from God, and are headed toward the lake of fire. But Jesus died on the cross to pay for your crimes, your sins against God, and all of ours. That whoever turns and repents of their sin in that, that broad release destruction, turns from that life of rebellion against God and embraces Jesus Christ through faith and puts their trust in him as their Lord and Savior, will pass from death to life. So if you have not done that yet, you need to do that before you leave here. You make sure you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? If you have Jesus, you need to continue to take hold of eternal life. Amen? The true life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's all please stand as we pass out the cup and the bread.